I want to greet each of you in Jesus' precious name. It's been a blessing once again to worship here. I appreciated the Sunday school lesson as we began our study in Hebrews. I thought it was so interesting and, and good for us. Thank you, Brother Franklin, for the song that you led here already. It goes fairly well with what I was planning to share this morning, and I love when the Spirit works that way. Lord, speak to me, Psalm number 898, a couple of the beginning of the verse, it says, O fill me with thy fullness, O use me, Lord, use even me. The title this morning is Trust in the Lord, taken from Proverbs 3, 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. That's what that widow had to do. She had to trust in God. And not just wonder, how is this going to work? She just had to fully trust in God. Elijah had to trust God many times in his life. It wouldn't have been easy going to King Ahab and telling him what was going to happen. But it also wasn't easy for him to go back to King Ahab because Ahab had been searching for him and telling him that, well, the drought is up after three and a half years. King Ahab wasn't a very happy man. But he needed to trust in God. The widow needed to trust in God. And who wants to tell me, or, or sometimes we think that when we trust in God in the way that that widow trusted in God, that things will continue to go pretty easy because I passed the test, right? Maybe. Maybe y'all don't feel that way. But we feel like we passed the test. What do we know more about this widow that happened while Elijah was still there? Anyone? Her son became sick and passed away. Hmm. Another trial. Another time that she needed to trust in the Lord. And Elijah took her son and he was staying in an upper room and he went up there and you can look at it in, in 1 Kings 17, I believe is where we find the account. And he takes this dead son, this boy up into the upper room and he prays to God that God would restore his life. And God listened to Elijah and that did happen. His, he was raised from the dead. A blessing, another time that the widow saw the power of God. And he said, she said, she made a comment there that I find interesting is, surely thou art the son of God. And I didn't even mark the verse for sure. Um, I guess it's the last verse. Yeah, verse 24 of chapter 17 of 1 Kings. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You would think that before this she would have known with the other things that happened, right? But because of this incident, she knew for, knew for sure that Elijah was a man of God. And, and I believe it increased her faith and her trust in God. <clears throat> 
know, I have to think about Elijah and what God was leading him through. He sends him to, to Ahab first, and then he takes him to the stream to provide for his needs. He has the ravens bring him his food. And eventually the stream dries up. And then he tells Elijah to go to where? A well-to-do couple that has a lot of food and they'll provide for him? No. To go to a widow. And when he finds her, I don't know how he's supposed to find her, but God led Elijah to her. When he found her, here it was a very poor widow, a widow that didn't have hardly anything, was all but out of food, and yet she was going to provide for him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. We need to trust in God. I want to tell another story this morning that has been used as an illustration in trusting. And probably most of y'all have heard it and you say, yeah, I know about that. But I think it illustrates well also the message that I feel the Lord has led me to share. There was a far-famed tightrope walker that came to Niagara Falls and stretched his rope across the thunderous currents from Canada to the United States. Before the breathless multitudes, he walked across the falls. He then pushed a wheelbarrow with a grooved wheel across the falls. The crowds went wild, and the tightrope walker shouted to them, Who believes I can push a man in this wheelbarrow across the falls? A gentleman in the front waved his hand, shouting, I do. I believe. So what did the man say then? Then said the walker, Come and get in the wheelbarrow. All of a sudden, this gentleman was having second thoughts. He believed that the tightrope walker could push a person across in a wheelbarrow. He believed it. He said he believed it. But he wasn't willing to get in the wheelbarrow. You know, as we put our faith and trust in God and say that we believe on him, how deep is that belief? Are we willing to get in his wheelbarrow and let him take us where he wants us to go? And I say in his wheelbarrow in in quotes. But, you know, God has a plan for each of us, and, and sometimes it's kind of difficult, such as it was for Elijah to go to a widow and ask for food, or such as it was for the widow to give Elijah the last of her food. But God asks us, are we willing to step forward, trusting him, believing in him? There's a very familiar account in Genesis 12 of the man of faith, Abraham, or Abram, as he was called here. And we see very clearly a man that put his faith and trust in the Lord. But there is something about this account that fascinates me. Well, there's quite a bit about this account that that fascinates me. I want to look at the verses in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. As we think about trusting the Lord. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, 
Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sishem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And we see him doing this numerous times here in this passage. Abram stopping and worshiping God. And he removed from thence unto a mountain unto the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel, Bethel on his west and Haian on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, once again, and called upon the name of the Lord. So we see a relationship between Abram and God. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. What did the Lord ask Abram to do? To do something that we find quite often very difficult to do. Maybe not all of you do. Some people move very easily. Others of us find it a little harder to do that. But God asked Abram to move. Verse 1, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Leave. Leave your friends. Leave your uh, family. Leave familiar. And go where? We know the story but to a place that I will show you. He didn't tell Abram where he was going. Hebrews 11.8 points that out very clearly. This verse does too there in verse 1 of chapter 12. But Hebrews 11.8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. He was willing to get we might say, into the wheelbarrow, though he had to walk or however. But he followed God. He allowed God to lead him where he wanted to go. Verse 4 there in Genesis says, What? So Abram departed. He went. God told him to go. He didn't know where he was supposed to go, but God was going to show him. God clearly spoke to him. He went. We don't read of any hesitation or questioning on Abram's part. It says, so Abram departed, or he went. Fully trusting and relying on God. And as I pointed out, there's the different times that he stopped or when he was at a, a certain spot, and he would stop and worship God along the way build a, 
an altar and make a sacrifice to God to worship him. He wanted to continue with that relationship. He needed to know where God wanted him to go. And so he kept that relationship with God was so important to him and it needs to be important to us too. I believe it demonstrates his total surrender of his own will to that of God's will. As he stopped and, and offered these sacrifices, he was, he was fully surrendered to God. But something that I find interesting is if we read verse 10, what happened there? And there was a famine in the land. Here Abram was following God, going where he wants him to go. And he arrives there in Canaan. And later on in Exodus, it talks about what Canaan was. A land flowing with milk and honey. But it sure wasn't flowing very much right now because there was a famine in the land. Had he really went where God wanted him to go? Could there have been questions in his mind? He had a wife. He had a nephew. He had servants, cattle. He had things to take care of. And how was he supposed to take care of these if there's a famine? We don't read of him questioning God. It does say he went down to Egypt to get food. But you know, sometimes, and, and that's what I wanted to, to point out even in the widow's life, we, we step out in faith and we trust God as she did in providing food for Elijah, giving him all she had. But life continues on and we still face another trial. Here Abraham steps out in faith, believing God, not knowing exactly where he's supposed to go. And when he gets there, there's a famine. And I don't want any of this to, to put question marks in our mind or, or make us doubt God because God was very clear and, and spoke to Abram. I just want us to, to see and be reminded that as we do step out in faith, trusting God, we will still face um, trials. What were some of the reasons that Abram faced these things? <clears throat> if we read a little bit farther in Hebrews 11, where it talks about Abraham, I had read verse 8. In verse 9, it says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know, sometimes when we step out in a similar circumstance as what Abraham did here, you know, maybe we think, well, we, we are doing what God wants us to do, and as, as, as um, we go forward, God provides for all our needs, as, as he says he will. But if we don't face some trials, where does our focus go? Does our focus stay in God, or does it go to other things? You know, in Hebrews 11.10 there, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker was God. His focus stayed toward God, with God. He had a relationship with God. And I so appreciate that in Abram.
his life. Was he a perfect man? He wasn't. He made mistakes, as we do. But he had a strong faith in God and followed God. We're going through the book of James on Wednesday evenings. And and there in James 1, talks about facing trials. Verses 2 and 3, James 1, 2, and 3. My brethren, is from the New King James Version. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Isn't that what we desire? As we face these things, these things are to help us grow, to persevere. And it says, let patience have its perfect work that you, that I, may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It helps us grow as we do face trials. It helps keep our focus on God. I invite you to Joshua 6. And we're just going to look at a couple examples here this morning of men who put their faith in God. Joshua 6. He had a lot of faith. And trust. He knew that God had delivered Canaan into their lands the first time he went in as a spy, and yet he had to wait for 40 years before they could go in. He had patience, he had faith. And here God's giving him very detailed instructions on how they are supposed to go in and surround Jericho. And I find it interesting what God tells Joshua in, in the first, uh, first two verses. So Joshua 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 17. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. So that tells us the gates are closed, it appears. The people in Jericho did not want to allow or give any... Um, opportunity for any of the children of Israel to get into the city again. Some of the spies had got in earlier, but now the gates were closed. No one could go in or or out. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. (laughs) What does Joshua see? Is that what he sees? He sees a city surrounded by a big wall with the gates closed. (laughs) But that's not what God sees. He says, look, Joshua, I have given into thine hand Jericho. It's right there. And then he gives instructions on how they were supposed to conquer that city. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. 
And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. So he's given instructions to the people. This is how we are going to capture the city. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets and the rearward came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua commanded the people saying, ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout, then shall ye shout. Again, specific instructions on how they are going to do this. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city going about it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rearward came after the ark of the Lord. The priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned into the camp. So they did this six days. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and Compass the city after the same manner seven times. So they go around it seven times. Only on that day they compass the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. What happens? And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And we skip on down to verse 20. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Now, I don't know how many of those people were surprised, as far as the children of Israel, when that wall fell down. But I have a feeling that Joshua wasn't. I believe he was trusting God. Maybe he didn't know exactly how it was all going to happen, but God had told him what they were to do, and he made sure that the children of Israel followed the command of God. And they precisely did what God said in the way that they went, in the way that the ark, where the ark was, 
and the seven priests that blew with the horns. Very detailed instructions that Joshua received and he passed on and made sure that the other men obeyed. You know, as I think of Joshua going and giving the command, this is how we're going to capture the city. Do you think some of the other men had some question marks? Possibly so. How is this going to work? What are we doing? What are the people inside going to think? The ones in Jericho looking out. Well, I find it interesting we have a little inclination of what they were thinking earlier, at least, when the spies were there. And in Joshua 2.24, as the spies came back and told Joshua, they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. And, and Rahab had told those spies that we know that the Lord parted the Red Sea and left y'all go through on dry land. We know this and we know that that had happened. They had heard and they had almost more fear of God than, than the children of Israel or more belief that this was going to happen than the children of Israel did at one point. And that's why they had to wander around in the, the wilderness. But now they are there at Jericho. They have instructions on what to do. They obey. And it was a wonderful thing that God did. It was God that did this miracle. That the children of Israel were able to conquer that city and go in. It was all God. And God used means or ways to remind them that it wasn't them. Yes, they had to obey and do certain things. But it wasn't them that were going in and defeating the enemy. God clearly opened the doors, knocked down the walls, and allowed them in. <coughs> Briefly, I want us to think about the account of Gideon in Judges 7. God had asked him to go into battle, and he had a lot of helpers, a lot of men of war, and I'm not going to take the time to even read the account, but just refer to a, a couple places it is in uh, Judges 7. If I did my math correctly, he started out with 32,000 men of war. And God says, what? And actually, I do want to read that verse because there was something there that points out why God does what he does. And works the way he works. So yeah, um, Judges 7 verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the hosts of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many. For, to, for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. And I think that's important for us to realize and to see. God is the one that deserves the praise for any victories that Israel had, for any victories that we have. When we step out in faith, believing 
It is God. God wants us to be trusting in him, not in our own strength, but trusting fully in him. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understandings. That's exactly what God wanted these men that were with Gideon to do, to trust in him. It wasn't in their own strength that they were going to go and do this. And so God sends or tells Gideon, let some of them leave and 22,000 leave. So he ends up with only 10,000. That's quite a few less. And God said, it's still too many. There's still too many. And so God divides them up again by the way they drink out of a brook. And Gideon's only left with 300. What a huge difference. And I think Gideon becomes a little fearful because God said, tells Gideon to go on down, that he has given the Midianites into his hand. But if you do doubt, you can go down and listen to what they are saying. And so Gideon goes down and listens. And then he has faith that they will be able to or that God will be able to give them victory over, the, over them. But in these accounts, I want us just to think about the men or women that needed to step out in faith, trusting God, fully depending on God. And God wanted to be the focus in all of it. And with this account here of, of Gideon, it's too many men. They will take the, the praise and, and God wouldn't receive it. They will think they were the ones that overcame the enemy. But the focus needs to be on God. Our trust needs to be in God, not in ourselves. If you all can sit for a couple more minutes. Um, turn with me to Mark 6.30. We have something a little bit different in this account, and it's one of my favorite accounts of Jesus interacting with, well, I say, yeah, it's one of my favorites. Uh, Jesus interacting with the disciples and with the people. And probably I will share parts of this some other time too, just because I, I, I like what we see here. But in Mark 6, 30, we, we see something a little bit different happening here, but it really shows us a lot about God, and no matter what he tells us to do, we always need to be trusting in him, whether it's a big thing that he tells us to do or a little thing that he tells us to do. So in verse 30 of Mark 6, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all the things both that they had done and what they had taught. So earlier in the chapter, Jesus had sent them away, two by two, however, and, and they were supposed to go out and, and heal and to teach on repentance and so on. And so they come back and, and they're telling Jesus, they're excited about what has happened in their lives and telling him about this. In verse 31, and he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So she said, let's, let's just go away, and we'll, we'll be by ourselves. Y'all can talk to me, and we'll just have a special time together, is what comes to my mind. It's what I'm envisioning here, is kind of what I, what I see. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And what happens? And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them. 
got there before they did to the other side and came together unto him. So Jesus wants to get away. He says, let's get in a boat. Let's go over to a desert place and have some, some time alone. The people don't want to let Jesus go. And so it appears like some of them ran around the sea and also got other people to come. And when they get there, they're waiting for Jesus. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. And if I'm reading this wrong, feel free to share with me. But he saw much people. Remember, he wanted some time with his disciples, is what he had said. But he saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. God, Jesus took time for others. He saw them. He had compassion. They were as sheep, not having a shepherd. They wanted to be taught. What a beautiful scene. And there were thousands of them. Jesus has compassion and teaches. And when the day was now far spent, the disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and all the fishes. And they did, and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. There is so much we could talk about here, but I actually want to just skip on down and focus on this next part of what Jesus tells the disciples to do. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And it wasn't until recently that I noticed that part that he had them do this even before the people left. For whatever reason, I'm not sure, but he had the disciples Get in the boat, get in the boat, and go on ahead of him. And what all his reasoning is, again, I don't know. But do you think it took much faith for these, the disciples to do this? It was a pretty common practice to get in a boat and go someplace. Some of them were fishermen. So it didn't take a lot of faith for them to do this. So they just easily go. They obey. Didn't take much faith, but they obey. And they go, and they're supposed to go on ahead of, of Jesus. When even was come, the ship was in the... Sorry. Back on up to verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. So this is the picture that is so beautiful to me. He asked the disciples to do something that didn't take much faith. They were supposed to get in a boat 
go on ahead of him. Okay, simple enough. They, they would go. They obeyed. But they faced a storm of some sort. Exactly how big it was, I don't know. But they were straining, trying to get to where they were going, and they couldn't. Jesus wasn't with them. He was up on the mountain praying. But verse 48 just blesses me a lot. And he saw them toiling and rowing. So at the same time, while he's up on the mountain, he's watching over his disciples. He sees exactly what's going on in their lives, just as he's seeing what we are facing today. Now, sometimes he may ask us to step out, and it takes a lot of faith. Other times he's just asking us to get in in the boat or get in the car and go somewhere. And we don't realize what all we're going to face, what trial we are going to face. The disciples didn't know what was going to happen. But Jesus did. And while Jesus was up on the hill praying, up on the mountain praying, he saw them toiling. And I think once again, we see the compassion that he had. What did he do? Did he let them just keep on trying to get to where they needed to go? No, he went to them. He just went walking out across the sea. And when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and then the wind ceased. It was after Jesus was right there with them. So there's still waves and so on, and Jesus just walking across the sea. Comes to them. Once he gets in the boat, then that all subsides. And in some of the other accounts, we know that Peter actually calls out to him and, and walks on the water towards Jesus a little bit until he takes his eyes off of him. It's not talked about here. But I want us to just think about no matter what or how much trust it feels like we need to have to do what God is asking us to do, whether it takes a lot or takes a little, God is watching over us. And more than likely we will face a trial and it's going to take more more faith and more trust in God to go through that. But he will be there. He will be watching. He cares and he has compassion on us too. Matthew 11:28 says Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. You know, maybe we feel like we're in a, in a battle right now. We're facing something really difficult. God says, come unto me. I will be there. I will help you through. So whether he asks you to do a big thing, something you're really scared to do, or if it's a little thing, Trust God. Go where he asks you to go, and he will be there for you. There is a song, number 410, I will be true to, to thee. And I was, was thinking about this song before I, um, so I was preparing, or after I uh, felt led to share this message. Fully surrendered, Lord divine, I will be true to thee. All that I am or have is thine, I will be true to thee. I will be true to thee, Lord. I will be true to thee. Where thou leadest me, 
I will follow thee. I will be true to thee. You know, we can say that so easily or sing it so easily. But if that really is what's in our heart, and that's where God wants us to be. May the Lord bless you this week and through the, the coming weeks as you are fully surrendered to God, trusting Him. The Lord bless you.